Overdrive. Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program where we put the world of motoring and transport under the microscope. I'm David Brown and in this program we have new stories with David Campbell, including a UK trial of a new noise camera system that can automatically detect and identify vehicles that are making excessive noise. Rob Fraser gives us a second instalment on preparing your car to go to the snow. We talk to the Managing Director of Sanyong Australia about how they are making a comeback in this country. Brian Smith and I talk about some quirky news and we have two motoring minutes, one on the Lexus NX300H and the Nissan Patrol. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify and, of course, our Facebook page, Overdrive City. So let's start the program with the news. The UK government has commissioned a prototype noise camera system and a crackdown on drivers who disturb communities with vehicles that are breaking legal noise limits. New camera technology aims to measure the sound levels of passing vehicles to detect those that are breaking the law, and could also use automated license plate recognition technology to help enforce the law by prosecuting the registered owner or nominated driver in the same way that speeding is enforced. The system could also help to catch those who rev car or motorcycle engines beyond legal limits at traffic lights or other locations, making life difficult for those who live nearby. Studies have found that exposure to excessive noise can have significant physical and mental health implications. The system will be tested at several locations across the UK in the coming months. Emission Analytics, a company that works in the area of scientific measurement of real-world emissions, rather than low-volume take-up of pure battery electric vehicles, is the most effective solution to cutting CO2 in the short term and also meeting 2030 emission targets. According to the report, of all electrification strategies, full battery electric vehicles currently offer the least effective CO2 reductions, 21 times worse than mild hybrids and 14 times worse than full hybrids. The EU's CO2 reduction target for passenger cars by 2030 is 37.5%. Emissions analytics tests show that even with current technology, widespread hybridisation would achieve more than three-quarters of that target. Fiat Chrysler Automobiles faces a class-action lawsuit over an alleged death wobble involving 2015-2018 to Jeep Wranglers with a solid front axle. The suit says that this can cause the steering wheel to shake violently at normal highway speeds. The lawsuit alleges Fiat Chrysler had knowledge of the issue and rather than address it or disclose its possibility or warn drivers at the point of sale, the company simply claimed that the death wobble was not a safety issue and it could happen with any vehicle that has a solid front axle rather than an independent front suspension. According to the suit, the problem occurs because the solid front axle cannot absorb bumps and vibrations as effectively as a vehicle with a front suspension that allows each wheel to move independently. It goes on to say that drivers have complained about Wrangler's steering problems to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration for years. 
The lawsuit seeks damages for affected drivers in the form of a buyback program and also seeks punitive damages. A former Audi executive who went on to become China's science and technology minister, Wang Gung, convinced leaders two decades ago to bet on the then-untested technology of vehicle electrification, promoting it not only as a way to boost economic growth, but also to tackle China's dependence on oil imports and its mounting levels of pollution. His strategy, using government subsidies to bring car makers and drivers on board, made China home to one of every two electric vehicles sold globally today. Now this visionary is saying that hydrogen is the future. Wang Gang says that China should get ready for the next game-changing moment. We should look into establishing a hydrogen society, he said. We need to move further towards fuel cells. The adoption of fuel cells has been slow in spite of China having an abundant supply of hydrogen. There are only about 1,500 hydrogen-powered vehicles in use there today compared with more than 2 million electric vehicles. However, China is promoting the adoption of hydrogen vehicles in selected regional trials as it sets up an ecosystem that includes hydrogen production, storage, transportation and refuelling. Time will tell if Wan's vision is the right one. Google Maps could soon let you know when a taxi driver takes you on dodgy routes with automated app alerts. Google Maps has tested the new feature known as Stay Safer in India. Yahoo News reports that the one-off route alerts could warn riders that drivers have deviated from the quickest route, offering an alert when the driver has deviated 500 metres from the quickest route. Google Maps has also recently rolled out a speed camera detection feature. And that has been the news. These questions were on my mind when we tested the Lexus NX 300h F-Sport. As soon as we started to drive the Lexus, there was a familiarity about the experience that was comforting, and the near $68,000 pricing is certainly not outrageous. Lexus prides itself in providing prestige without going over the top in price, something some European models could emulate. I found the hybrid excellent around town, where the nature of the stop-start driving is particularly suited to the dual-engine configuration. On the freeway, though, there was little difference. Cruising at a constant rate doesn't allow the hybrid to shine as much. Overall, the economy was 5.7 litres per 100 k's though. With stylish looks, Lexus build quality, packed with standard comfort and safety features, the NX300H F-Sport, definitely worth a drive. You're listening to Overdrive. Well, the last time we talked to Rob Fraser from Osroma, about driving in the snow we talked about preparing the car but chains on the tires is a specific issue rob joins us again rob i once did a television segment of putting chains on a car actually i wasn't the ideal person to do it and uh, we had to hide the camera from my skinned knuckles perhaps i hadn't (laughs) tried enough Is, is that typical of the problem david i think you actually got off lightly Fitting chains is one of the most frustrating things you can possibly do on a vehicle. And I always recommend to people that if you need to fit chains, and we'll talk about that in a minute, you practice doing it at home because the worst place you can learn how to fit snow chains is in that pull-off on the side of the road when it's bitterly cold, possibly snowing, and you're knee-deep in snow, mm. 
trying to fit the chains for the first time. That is a recipe for disaster. Now, in fact, if you've got a two-wheel drive, you have to have them if the conditions call for it, and it's not your decision, it's the park's decision, isn't it? Well, it's not even if the conditions call for it. If you go above the snow line or into the National Park with a two-wheel drive, whether it's in the snow season, you are required to carry change. No ifs, no buts. Oh, okay. Now, SUVs came from four-wheel drives, but there's an awful lot of SUVs that aren't four-wheel drives, isn't it? Well, that's true. But ironically enough, a vehicle such as the Subaru Forester that has full-time all-wheel drive Mm. is actually better because it has traction to all four wheels when necessary at all times. And in New South Wales, if you have an all-wheel drive or a four-wheel drive, you aren't required to carry chains, although in some other states you do, so you would need to check the local regulations. Putting them on, testing them at home, is there any little hints for it? Should I jack the car up and do it? No, look, the best way to put the chains on, and and if you're using chains, try to get the diamond style rather than just the straight across type style because they actually are better for the vehicle and better for traction. The best way to put it is lay them out flat and just roll the driving wheels over onto them and wrap it up around. Ah, It's not fun. I hate doing it and will do everything I possibly can to avoid doing it. When should you put them on? You shouldn't be driving on normal roads too far with them on. Can that be a problem? Yeah, look, if you drive on a normal road with chains on, you will damage the chains, you could possibly damage the tarmac, and you will damage your tyres. So it really is only, and, and for the most part, they'll have signs up saying snow chains are required, fit them here. Mm. It's when there is ice or snow on the road or in really icy, slushy conditions on a dirt road. As soon as the ice or snow disappears, take the chains off because, again, the damage on the tar. It doesn't make you invincible, though, does it? Look, absolutely not. Neither does all-wheel drive make you invincible. You still need to have that safety-first type aspect. And, again, coming back to what we spoke about last issue, and that was the depth of tread on the tyres, there are some SUVs that have very high-performance-type tyres that are useless in the snow and ice. You can now get 21, 22-inch rims where the actual rubber is just like a little thin stick of licorice around the outside of the tyre. That's got no give to it. It's got very little sidewall protection and so on. You would avoid really taking those to the snow, wouldn't you? Uh, Yes, if you can, although there's a lot of people that do, but, yeah, if if you can. Hmm. I think with Australia, people think you only need those sort of precautions when you go to the snow but a lot of places a la the blue mountains often have snow and icy conditions where it's just as dangerous driving around there that it is going down to the snow yet people don't really realize it yes now you're not going to be asked to put chains on but you know black ice or any conditions like that make it very very hard i was on a dirt road in a very good utility the other day the new sanyong yet it was very muddy, and the tyres were ideal for the bitumen, but, gee, you had to be extremely cautious in those conditions, in this case mud, and there was a bit of snow around, but particularly muddy conditions. So you're going to have to adjust your driving to the conditions very much so, and it's not just a little bit. Oh, absolutely, and that change in your driving conditions is probably a topic for another chat. Yeah. Um, but I'll leave you with my best tip for thinking about black ice on roads yep try to follow somebody else that way they get in trouble before you do and you can see what happens to them 
Well, we'll get to the case where there will be vehicle-to-vehicle communication where you may then get a warning that the car ahead of you has had to engage its stability control significantly. But that's also a chat for the future. Rob, lovely to talk to you. Thanks again for your time. Thank you, David. You're listening to Overdrive. In 1996, Sanyong entered the Australian market with a number of what could be best described as distinctive-looking vehicles. Uh, They struggled, and even in 2016, they split with their distributor. So it has been a bit of a rough road, but they're back with a bit of a bang. And their managing director is Tim Smith, and we're very fortunate to talk with him on the line now. G'day, David. Tim, what did you learn, or what did the company learn from that initial experience? The journey with Sangyong as a brand has been, unfortunately, not as smooth as the factory would like. Certainly, we've had some challenges regarding the acceptance of the product in terms of styling in the past, and all three recent distributors had various levels of success. So certainly from a design and styling point of view, the factory's learned quite a significant amount, particularly over the last two years when the vehicles weren't selling as part of a distributor arrangement. Certainly with our customers over that journey from 1996 have been very passionate. People who have bought Sangyongs are very, very passionate about how they've interacted with their lives. And we see lots and lots of social coverage and lots and lots of defense of those styling decisions back in the early days from our customers, particularly around reliability and longevity. So we are very happy with now as a factory back solution coming back into market that a lot of the styling faux pas that happened in the past have been rectified, but the level of reliability and design features that we've come back with to the market, we're happy that that's still the case. And that's backed up by the fact that we've offered now the industry-leading warranty with our 777 care package. Colleague of mine had an old Stavic people mover and he loved it, although the back design looked like a utility that had one of those camper van canvas things stuck out the back but nonetheless he loved it and and it achieved great things for him you are looking at offering obviously a lot of features to it autonomous emergency braking lane change assist rear cross traffic alert blind spot detection yet you mentioned at the launch of the latest muso that it's not just a case of bells and whistles really it's really focusing on what people need and perhaps even a little more than what they want two things We are function over form, so everything we do, any feature that needs to be functional and value-add to the customer, that's one thing. So from all our active safety systems right through to some of the items that we offer as part of um, the cabin and also externally, they need to be very functional. Some things we've taken off the car, such as things that we think are superfluous to function, so that customers can bespoke build their cars with the ever-growing list of accessories that we have so that each Sangyong Musso is unique. What would you take off? And is that in the base level? What sort of features do you think have tended to be a little bit more glossy rather than functional? Well, look, that's why we've offered our 20-inch wheels as an, as an option rather than a standard. We've had overwhelming feedback from customers is that the 18s are a more practical wheel on day-to-day operations and to take the car off-road. 
the 20 inch wheels tend to be a little bit lower profile. So we've offered that as an option. So if customers do want that, then they can. Otherwise, we offer either a black or a silver alloy as the 8 inch wheel on the standard on the upper spec Ultimate and Ultimate Plus. Other things like fashion rails on a ute tend to inhibit the use of the product as a tool of trade. For example, you can't put a roof rack system on the top of the ute because the gap between each bar wouldn't be long enough as per ADR. So, you know, things like that where we've had to look at things more practically so that both the dealer and the customer can utilise the vehicle and add the accessories that they want in a more practical way. Your head office is in Korea. I think some people may see the name Sanyong and perhaps think of other countries, China or or so on. It is very strongly Korean. Will you be pushing that as part of your marketing? The company's very proud of its heritage. It's the oldest SUV manufacturer in in Korea. It's had a 65-plus year heritage. The company's had uh, quite an interesting history the key supplier of military vehicles to the South Korean Army and has over the years been very much a SUV-focused company. In Australia, I mean, Sangyong, for those who don't know what Sangyong actually means in Korean, it means double dragon. And we find that people who, um, and people awareness of the brand who don't understand where we've come from, who try to educate, but we do that in a more subtle way. People who feel that the Sangyong brand isn't as established as, as opposed to its other Korean brethren. I can assure you that the history and the technology and the levels of infrastructure that Sangyong have is as strong as our other Korean brethren. I think you started in 1954 building Jeep-like vehicles after the Korean War for the Korean military. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. So during the Korean War and, and, and after, they had a contract to build the Jeep itself, Korean version of it. So long history with U.S. tie-in. As you know, South Korea and U.S. have very strong ties together and a long history together. Most of that research and history and, and experience now is, sits with a very strong, albeit smaller, manufacturing base. And some of the products we've seen now has, certainly has more contemporary styling. Tim, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, David. And that's Tim Smith, who is the Managing Director of Sanyong here in Australia, uh, talking about a very wide range and ideals and ideas that they're implementing in order to re-establish the brand here in this country. You're listening to Overdrive. Nissan relaunched the Patrol in late 2017 with a much improved luxurious vehicle designed for the oil-rich countries of the Middle East and the USA, more so than Australian tastes. The Patrol is huge, something you notice in suburban car parks, but light steering makes parking easy. If transporting a family of seven in comfort and luxury while being able to go off-road or tow a boat for the family holiday is what you're after, the Patrol fits the bill perfectly. Just don't look at the price of fuel as the 5.6-litre V8 petrol motor is powerful but very thirsty. For around $89,000 plus the usual added costs, buyers get an exceptionally capable four-wheel drive vehicle that is comfortable, spacious and packed with standard features. The interior isn't quite to my taste, but I have a friend that bought one and she loves it. This is Overdrive across Australia. And we come to the end of the program, and who better to talk some unusual, some quirky news stories than Brian Smith. And this week, we start by talking about the music that you have in your car, and who knows what your selection is, and if they did know, 
how might that help with their marketing? Spotify, they're about to go public, or they're certainly publicly testing, their first hardware. What it is is a voice-controlled smart assistance for car. It works like this. If you're in your car, you can plug your phone in and play things, but we don't learn what people are doing. So now they will have a system to go in the middle between your phone and your car that you just plug into your cigarette lighter power, and it will give you greater chance to adjust, you know, operational things. You can say, hey, Spotify, play me this and so on. But, of course, we're back to that point about information. They will then get a huge amount of information of what people are listening to in cars, of which we just don't know. All we know is that you can listen to the radio and so on. But this will be a way where they will be able to assess what you're listening to. Now, what's the benefit to you? Well, they might uh, receive premium users that on Spotify will get it for free. So immediately you get something for free. But there's another step in this. It will then, they've also registered the name. This is going to be called the car thing. And now they're also registered the name called the home thing or the voice thing. So now you get commonality. What you're used to and using at home, saying, hey, Spotify, play me this, will work exactly the same in your car. And so it removes all that great dilemma of trying to adjust and get used to a different or or use a different system. I'm struggling to see, I guess it's a, a mild convenience thing. And, and so long as Spotify uses the data to hopefully pay performers more, because one of the problems I think with being on Spotify is that, uh, that you know, you, you only get these tiny amounts of uh, royalties from the use of your music. Mm. Uh, I guess if they have better information on, on the volume of music being played in different situations so that they could really understand what's going on, then um, I guess that's a good thing. But surely if you are using your phone in the car to play Spotify, then you're providing that information to Spotify already. I'm, I'm struggling to see what's missing, what the missing link is that they're trying to grab. You don't know that it's in the car. Hmm, well, you've only got it. Does it matter? Does it matter if it's in the car, where, where it is? Maybe it does. Might matter to them. Well, might perhaps. Our listening habits in the car, and they've bought, by the way, and quite a number of companies that were into podcasting, Spotify going into podcasting in a big way. So it's a strong possibility that they want to understand the market much more and be able to target it, let alone that you might be able to say, and I, I haven't read this, I'm just guessing, of saying, hey, give me a suggestion. You know what I like. Mm, okay. But... It is the issue of getting used to it. You remember we've talked a lot about getting into cars and having a commonality of control. Mm -hmm. So you think voice voice control is the next thing? I think that's a really critical direction that we've got to get that much better, and it has been getting better, because it is a case where people get into the, the car and find things that are different from the car they've just got out of, and we you know, may be swapping cars more. So I think that is important, and that's where every major car manufacturer except Nissan, Toyota is now, just as we said in the news, now just going to this of getting Apple CarPlay and Android Auto hmm. so that you can get used to the common controls you're used to on your phone work in your car as well on the screen. And that commonality is important. But, but, but I believe Tesla was trying to develop its own Spotify system 
so that it could do this. I'm back to this point about this almost frequent flyer principle. Buy a Tesla and we will give you something else, like free music with a premium brand. So just some kind of, I guess, uh, loyalty or slash reward system for exclusivity? Because we all know that, that cars in particular are marketed as a lifestyle product now. Yeah. It, it's your, you're associating yourself with the values of the brand, not the car itself. So, you know, I guess that attempt to, to connect luxury or tech, I suppose, allows them to differentiate themselves. That's exactly the point. And it not only builds the idea of cross-promoting, it builds relationship so that you get used to the system that you have at home can now be exactly the system you have in the car. Mm. And so you have an interaction. And then, of course, that could open up any number of possibilities, let alone, from a research point of view, we might well be able to know the music that was playing when people had an accident. Oh, okay. Yes, that's interesting. Or maybe people might not want you to know that information. Well, I don't think Spotify wants to go down the path of good scientific research but for the good of the community i think they only want to do it as you would expect for spotify and i guess you can't blame them for that but i'm saying that could be one use of the data interesting brian speed kills yes this is a a fascinating story a drunken gentleman had caught a high-speed ice train in germany the deutsche bahn and he was a little bit sloshed and he, he established the sensation that the train the high-speed train that he was on was moving too fast and so he actually uh, grabbed a fire extinguisher um, off the wall and smashed a glass door that separates the the driver's cab from the passenger compartment to tell urgently tell the driver the train is going too fast you have to save the passengers he's a 30 year old fellow from Heidelberg Heidelberg he wasn't identified but he was arrested for inter- dangerous interference in rail traffic and some other things. So he thought he was doing the right thing, David. And I think if he was an Australian footballer, <laughs> he'd probably be acquitted and, and lauded for his quick thinking and trying to save the fellow passengers. I wonder if we don't go back in time that, of course, the first trains were condemned because they might travel too fast. People thought that, that the air would leave the carriages. People would suffocate have a psychotic fit because of the thing flashing past, even the people on the side. And so there was a push to put up, of course, fences. I think that sort of pseudoscience probably came from the fence builders. (laughs) I noticed that police said that he was on the ice train. (laughs) I think it was more than just alcohol involved. You think there might be a long-term problem? Hmm. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to David Campbell, Tim Smith, Rob Fraser, Paul Justin, Brian Smith for their great contributions to this program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au and previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify and, of course, our Facebook page, Overdrive City. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.